Welcome, friends. Welcome to Untrained Effort. My name is Laura Ventisuara Kristeva, and I'll be your host. Untrained Effort is a new podcast about performance, politics, and the people they have in common. And yes, that is a lot of peas in one sentence. For this episode 2, I continue my exploration in the area of money and finance and ask if it is not the time for the cultural industries to advocate and push for something bigger beyond quote-unquote the survival of our sector or targeted investment as it is now more fashionable to talk about. Shouldn't the theatre world be advocating for systemic change and a tool that would guarantee everyone's participation in creativity? Wouldn't that be amazing? Could universal basic income be the answer? Universal basic income guarantees all citizens or residents of a country to regularly receive an unconditional sum of money from the government in addition to any income from elsewhere. The benefits and the shortcomings of UBI have been discussed for centuries. And this isn't going to be an episode about the history of UBI or a study in its feasibility, because I think so many more people have been writing about this much better than I could ever explain. Rather, I want to focus on what could possibly be the effect of UBI on the creative industries, on the systems, on the power structures. What would be the impact of UBI on artists. I argue that universal basic income will drastically change key relationships between individuals and institutions. And I argue that those relationships being changed, this will create a redefined workforce um, that will upset the power structures within um, the creative industries. If you're joining me for the first time, I am a bit of a political science geek, but do not worry. This is going to be a 10 minutes spiel followed by a wonderful conversation with someone who will also bring some juicy points of view to this and other matters. So stay with me. Let's look first at this idea that universal basic income changes relationships between individuals, institutions, and ideas. The first one, and I think the key impact of having universal basic income is the change to our relationship with work. Um, Not only of what work means, but what work is for, and therefore what work do we want to do? Um, There's One of the big things about UBI is it provides freedom for people to really do what they want to do rather than um, going into the first available job to pay the bills. 
UBI is also seen as the answer for a relatively near future where lots of jobs will be lost, mainly due to automation. And people like Elon Musk are, in fact, in favor of UBI. And so is the pop, actually. That's a good piece of trivia right there. So, in fact, UBI is said to be a tool to prepare us for a society where um, there will be less jobs. And it's also uh, there to prepare us for a society with an ever-growing uh, ageing population because receiving an amount of money per month or per week uh, that is stable and um, continuous and is not uh, dependent on your personal circumstances can free your time and that time can be dedicated to caring for others. Current systems are said to rely on the idea of work at all cost, whereas in future we will increasingly have periods of non-work. Um, and this has been made really clear uh, by the pandemic. And if COVID continues to be around, we will see most probably periods of uh, lockdown and periods of easing of the lockdown. Therefore, how can we prepare for that? Could the UBI be the answer to this? Another point about how UBI changes the relationship to work is um, the realization that actually right now, nowadays, uh, we don't speak uh, anymore about mass unemployment, but um, we live in a period of time where we have massive underemployment and that's evidenced by an increase in zero hour contracts what's called zero hour contracts here in the UK which are flexible contracts and people work per shift or number of hours rather than um, continuously but also um, any other various low-paid jobs and uh, is very prevalent in the cultural industries in theatre in particular with artists, technicians, producers, administrators uh, being often also double jobbers and recently um, we started talking a lot about the freelance workforce in the theatre industry which is 70% of the workforce is freelance and we can say it's normal because um, uh, people will be working project from project, but it also comes with a certain degree of downside for individuals, which we can discuss a little bit later. There's a certain workforce liquidity, which I think ultimately benefits a lot the employers rather than the employees. But this is something that I want to find out from my fellow freelancers is it really a choice to be freelancer nowadays? And could UBI help those people out so that they have more stability, uh, help us out to have more stability and more freedom in what we do? Another point about the work environment and creativity, very interesting in an article by Samar Shams in 2018, they said how the industrial revolution narrowed the possibility of creative work because the, the work then was menial, repetitive, and people were getting specialized. And they talk about uh, contemporary art and how it alienates people, which is something that I will discuss in a minute. But essentially, how being creative, being an artist has been 
but more and more difficult with time. And um, there's only a certain amount of people, certain type of people rather, who are able to be creative and make a living out of it. And that is now in parallel with the fact that employment in the creative industry is growing or was growing before COVID four times faster than the general workforce. And this is interesting because it is an industry that is much more resistant to automation than other types of work. And therefore, the share of the workforce in time will be uh, bigger. So there will be more people in the creative industries because it is an industry that despite automation will always need people. So several interesting factors to think about when we think about UBI and the relationship to work. Then, and this is kind of my favorite topic of all times, is the change in relationship with the state. And I think that's important because artists and cultural workers need to be independent from the state and independent from economical interests and from capital and um, really have a space that they can be truthful to uh, themselves, their communities, the thing that needs to be done in terms of social justice, in terms of health. Um, so redefining the relationship in general to individuals, to citizens with the state has always been something that I'm very passionate about. In a study done by the Royal Society of Arts, they talk specifically about this. So if you're a bit of a geek like me, do check it out. And how um, UBI becomes available to people aged 18 and plus, ideally, when it's put in place. Um, and it underpins citizenship and it's linked to stuff like being on the electoral registry, uh, being an active citizen in your community and becoming citizens who learn to leave rather than leave to work, which I found absolutely phenomenal. The job centre as well, this kind of like often dreaded place where one goes if they need government support and um, a place where actually oppressive powers are at play because there is this thought that if you are receiving government support, they're hand-me-downs and you are in need and, um, you know, there's stigma and shame attached to it. With UBI, the job centre becomes a work support agency, not a benefits administration agency, because what UBI allows you to do is take on the work that you really need, want, not the one that you need. So there's less stigma of not being working. Um, it frees times for carers, as I mentioned before. Um, it frees older citizens or women in particular that are often the ones that um, take on caring responsibilities or that uh, don't work and stay at home. So it frees possibilities for, for these people in particular. It really changes that conversation around uh, governments and benefits and citizens um, because support is no longer quote-unquote for the needy it is for everyone no matter who you are and there is less of this us and them stigma in society which could only be beneficial 
Now, after seeing how relationships to work and the state change, let's see how UBI redefines power structures specifically in the context of the creative industries. Currently, there is this idea that there is a self-perpetuating creative class with concentrated social, financial and human capital. This is linked to the question of who gets to be an artist and the answer is actually those that can afford it. Um, and with UBI, this could change and um, we could have a more democratic form of creativity. In that sense, UBI mitigates the divide between the privileged and the self-perpetuating creative class and the rest of workers. There is two kind of big economic arguments in favor of UBI. The first one is a macroeconomical one that says that UBI stimulates the economy by providing people with income to spend. This is a mechanism that is particularly interesting during deep recessions like the one that COVID uh, is causing. On the microeconomical side, and that level is really interesting for the creative industries because it's the level of economics that looks at individual decisions and individual firms' decisions. UBI is said to increase productivity, and that's because people don't have uh, the pressure to take the first available job. The one that they do take, they're more, uh, they have more chances to stick to it. And this is key uh, because if you remember, we were talking about this liquid workforce in the creative industries, the really high amount of freelancers and people that move from one job to the other. Um, that liquid workforce has little maneuver and negotiating power when you think about it. With UBI, people can withdraw their work forcing employers to provide better jobs, either jobs that are more flexible, higher wages, more training, etc. And it's particularly important uh, in this moment in time in the UK when the theatre industry uh, is questioning its future and a freelance task force is being formed, sponsored by venues, in the recognition that historically artists and independent makers have been unable to be heard from the rest of the industry, despite the fact that it's on their shoulders that the whole shebang is built. And that, to me, is a structural inequality that has its root in how the relationship between employees and employers work in the arts. And because of that liquidity of the workforce, that therefore UBI can palliate. So if we move swiftly towards some sort of conclusion, let's have a look at something like the furlough scheme in the UK, where the government pays 80% uh, of people wages, of those people whose tax is paid directly from their salaries, as opposed to freelancers uh, who pay it in their tax return annually. This furlough scheme is a job retention scheme. But I think we need something that radically switches the perception of work and our relationship to work, um, as how we work has changed drastically over the last few months. Retention is also control. 
Um, whereas there is no coming back to pre-COVID life and we all, including government, has to learn to navigate hyper uncertainty. With UBI, no one falls through the cracks and it provides autonomy and freedom to people. This is of utter importance in the world of culture, where artists need to maintain their independence and not let capital or influence um, or money dictate who makes what art. But UBI and, and the creative industry in the creative industries undermines the very idea of industry and the pursuit of money out of it. If UBI is not yet viable, especially while this government is in power, a government, by the way, which rejected the petition in favor of UBI on the 30th of March on the basis that it um, not being it, it being inadequate in targeting help to those who need it most. So a government whose policies actively perpetuate an oppressive class system, um, how can we artists, producers, technicians, etc., come up with a system that solves these inequalities and class and race wars in our professions? Are there other systems we can get inspired by so we can level the playing field and achieve at least some degree of wealth redistribution? While I prepare this episode, I recall conversations with colleagues in France who live a slightly different reality, and I decided to get in touch with one of them. I call Clément Suquel, a producer and administrator based in France, who works in a production company and is currently leading on several projects, including dance, theatre and radio. I ask her to introduce us to l'intermittence, this system that, as far as I know, is unique to France. Here is Clémence, with her English voice by Victoria Vauchova. Euh, en fait, à la base, je crois que c'est 1936, le début de l'intermittence, et ça concernait euh, les artisans euh, décorateurs du cinéma. The intermittence starts in 1936, because they couldn't find designers who would agree to quit their yearly, regular paying jobs. So the film producers couldn't find people to come to work on short contracts, to make scenery, for instance. So intermittence was in fact a measure put in place following the demand of the employers. Nineteen forty-five, the unemployment insurance schemes or unemployment benefits were put in place. In France, you have a number of different unemployment benefits. There is the general scheme, and then a whole other bunch of schemes that are specific to certain professions and take into account the specificities of these particular jobs. This was then extended to include artists and theatre technicians in 68, I think. Gradually, it was broadened, and today there are 120,000 people in France that intermittence applies to. It's a lot, but not a huge amount in proportion to the whole French population. Et alors, faut vraiment se dire que l'intermittence, c'est pas euh, un statut juridique, c'est pas un métier, c'est pas euh, une étiquette qu'on colle à quelqu'un, c'est vraiment un régime spécifique d'assurance chômage, c'est-à-dire euh, 
We should remember that the intermittence is neither a legal status, nor a type of occupation, nor a label to stick to anybody. It is a specific, individual, unemployment benefit. This means that it is the right one unlocks by paying national insurance, by working. It is something linked to employment that has no trade-off whatsoever. You're not going to be asked to do community work in exchange for receiving your unemployment benefit linked to the intermittent. So actually, the intermittent is considered a type of job seeker, but not necessarily a precarious worker. The intermittent compensates for these periods in a month without work. Roughly speaking, over a period of 10 or 12 months, you have to have worked 507 hours, and it has been this precise for a number of years now, in order to unlock your right to ask for that benefit. It works out to between 43 and 60 days for a period of 10, 10 and a half months before you can start receiving your benefit. The average daily allowance is around 60 euros, but it varies depending on a calculation which is based on how much you have been earning. How much you get is linked to how much you have been earning while you work. You can access those benefits through your annual contributions, working a minimum of hours or more each year. The scheme is there to ensure a minimum level of financial stability for jobs that by their very nature are infrequent with multiple short-term contracts, since jobs with multiple employers are harder to find and fit under the more general unemployment benefit system. Euh, donc à la base, c'est vraiment ça l'idée et c'est pas tant, euh, même si évidemment c'est aussi euh, assez énorme, c'est pas tant l'idée d'offrir au secteur culturel une espèce de subvention déguisée euh, qui vienne permettre une activité par ailleurs euh, personnelle et, et libre. Mais c'est pour autant ce que c'est vraiment devenu. So really the idea wasn't to give the cultural industry some sort of hidden funding to allow for independent individual activity. Although it does have a significant impact, it has become something like that though because on one hand it allows people to be available and to work in this industry because if they had day jobs it would be so much harder for producers to hire people. On the other hand, it enables people to make life and artistic choices, to do things that they wouldn't do if they depended on them to eat, because they wouldn't make much financial sense. This is in a sector that, even though it is funded, and we are very lucky compared to other countries, people don't earn that much. There are many, many differences between the UK and France, one of which is very relevant here is that the job market there is much less flexible and therefore it's interesting how l'intermittence allows that flexibility specifically for artists and technicians. I ask Clémence how it is funded, where does the money come from? Mm. Oui, ce qu'il faut comprendre aussi, c'est que c'est un, un régime qui ne va pas être financé par euh, l'impôt, comme c'est souvent proposé pour euh, bah, le revenu universel. Mm -hmm. C'est un régime qui est financé euh, par des, des cotisations sociales euh, patronales sur les salaires euh, des intermittents qui sont plus élevés que pour un salarié du régime général. 
It is a system that isn't funded by tax, like it is often suggested for the UBI, for instance. The intermittence is part funded by the employer's national insurance contributions, which are higher than those under the general scheme, which is also funded by a fraction of the payments to the general scheme. That's called the interprofessional solidarity. It means that the intermittence is self-funded, but not entirely. It is a very dispute mechanism, especially recently again in Parliament, where there is a new pension reform being pushed through. This insight into the pension reform in France is so valuable and useful to understand why people were protesting just before the pandemic hit. I ask next Clemence if she can explain and if she has a sense of what is the relationship of artists and technicians to this system. What do they think? It is complicated. It is a love-hate relationship. I think people are conscious about the fact that they are privileged compared to people in other countries. But at the same time, with the intermittent, you end up running around like a headless chicken. Like, I'm missing seven hours, or whatever. There are lots of administrative hoops you have to jump through, since you are in a very complex relationship with a job centre. There are lots of calculations and people are not necessarily trained to understand the system well. The intermittents, the artists and technicians, they haven't been taught how the intermittence works either. They have had to go on the internet or learn from one another. And there are always changes anyway. Mais, euh, mais voilà, et puis ça change beaucoup. Euh, mais pour autant, euh, bah c'est vraiment un régime juridique euh, auquel euh, on tient. Mm. Euh, parce que, euh, bah, That being said, it is a legal system we really cherish because it allows the sector not only to survive, but also to maintain a certain balance in the implementation of our cultural policies. What I mean by this is, cultural policies are not designed from the top down, from the Ministry of Culture, or by venues, or the big producers. But thanks to the intermittence, artists are able to be the masters of the projects they want to see happen. They can be creative force in implementing those policies in France. There is a certain level, playing field, that is achieved this way between the artists who are, at the end of the day, the ones embodying the cultural policy and institutions who exist precisely to work with artists and build those policies together, rather than just using them. I ask next, what is the public opinion of the arts, theatre and performance in general, but also specifically about this system? What do people think? Le système de l'intermittence et globalement euh, des subventions euh, à la culture est tellement complexe et tellement euh, une niche que en fait beaucoup de personnes euh, s'en fichent un peu et euh, voire euh, trouvent pas ça. The intermittent system and the subsidized sector in general are so complex and so niche that quite a lot of people just don't care. Some think this isn't normal and think you are so privileged. There is this belief, which is totally false, of course, that artists are slackers. 
that they are getting paid to do nothing, which is of course totally not the case. So there is this love-hate thing again. And I don't know if this has really changed during the pandemic. Is it really going to be a priority for French people to go back to the cinema or to the theatre as soon as possible? I have no idea. We are asking ourselves the same question. We were already fighting for an audience, for people to take an interest in the performance arts. Are we really going to meet again with our audience? And are we going to be able to reach new ones? Those are some real questions right there. At the end, I asked my now traditional farewell question. Clémence, what would you tell people listening today? Bah déjà, j'espère que que ça va, que que vous arrivez malgré tout quand même à well, I hope you're well, that you manage despite everything, that you manage making projects, even if only in your head for now, that you don't lose the possibilities to put stuff in place, postpone to the next season, because I really think we should fight for this to continue existing. It is so, so important for the cultural sector to be dynamic and stay very, very diverse. For me, this is one of the risks linked to the pandemic, in that we end up with propositions that are much less diverse, less varied because they are harder to finance. And for me, that is what we need to fight for, and I hope you will be able to find a way to fight for that in the UK as well. After we finish the more formal part of our chat, I stop recording and we speak for an hour with Clemence, catching up on life and work and policy and how there is a big gap between what politician offers and what they can do and their ability to make the laws and put in place the mechanisms for that to exist. And it's riveting. However... I unfortunately didn't record that. Uh, so what is available to you is a bonus episode in French uh, with our chat, our 40-minute chat up to this point. Uh, so I do encourage you to have a look and uh, hopefully I'll bring Clemence back another day on another topic to continue picking her brains. From what we discussed, two things really struck me. It was then the powerful cinema producers that instigated first the intermittence. It was the employers that were at the core of that change. And it was coupled with a seismic event like World War II. The other thing is that UBI and intermittence uh, do have uh, something in common, which is staying away from employment for employment's sake. In the case of UBI, because it removes the financial pressures of having to find money for basic needs, and in the case for l'intermittence, with um, this social security benefit system that recognizes the specificities of the artistic profession. This makes me wonder, who are today's, quote, cinema producers? who can put pressure for a total reorganization of how we conceive of work in the creative industries. Who can we as artists, techies, admins influence 
so that they can also get a better deal out of a more steadily available workforce. All these talk about employment and status and financing lead me to the query, is being an artist a job? Can art really be work? And if you reply one way or the other, the implications for all of us are massive. But we ran out of time, so we will need to meet again in a couple of weeks' time to continue this exploration around performance, politics and the people they have in common. Until then, stay safe, my friends. <laughs>